0: Welcome to StartupCTO.io, the podcast where Miles Mathias and Kevin Iwaki interview engineering leaders about management, startups, and software, because your CS degree didn't teach you to lead. And now, StartupCTO.io.
1: Hey folks, thanks for tuning in this week. I'm your host, Kevin Iwaki. This past week with Super Nuts at Occipital, we released a new product, which was a mixed reality headset It allows you to superimpose digital objects on the real world. Um, lots of late nights, code jam sessions, pizza, the whole nine yards. And it went really well. The, we're live and the founders are happy watching the sales come in. And the battles of this past week reminded me of some of my favorite engineering war stories. Uh, We ask this question to everyone, what's your favorite engineering war story? So I'm going to play four of our best ones for you all this week. I'll order them to start with just like at the scale of a guy in a garage with a product, and then we'll end with a large venture scaled startups war story. First up, I've got Patrick McKenzie, an independent software developer. Uh, The story is about misplacing your pager and being unaware of an outage. Enjoy. (laughs) All right, so let's move into final questions. Do you have any favorite engineering war stories, Patrick?
2: Oh, In most of my engineering war stories, I ended up dying. Um, (laughs) So let's see. uh, How about a reliability story for cautionary tale uh, of of, uh, things to not do? So if you are the sole product manager slash DevOps engineer slash chief bottle washer uh, and you are running a a B2B service, which is reasonably mission critical, if you move apartments, you should endeavor not to get your cell phone, which is connected to the mission critical service, put into one of the boxes during the apartment move. Because if that happens, it is potentially the case that all the pages about the server being down go to the cell phone in the box and you did not receive them until uh, several hours into an outage. And if you get that notification of the outage several hours later, you should not immediately jump onto a laptop, type one thing into your server, and assume that that worked. But rather think, okay, I'm in the middle of an outage. What's the nature of the outage and what is the thing I need to do to remediate it in a well-considered fashion considering the side effects of doing that thing? Uh, The... The concrete nature of the story, story I'm telling about is I was running a point reminder service, which did uh, phone calls, SMS messages, and emails to the clients of professional services businesses. Right. And so they,
1: timeliness yeah.
2: is, is really yeah. important. Timeliness was really important. My queue workers fell over. The uh, the monitoring software starts complaining that the queue workers fell over. And uh, uh, so I find out about this at 3 a.m. in the morning and immediately restart the queue workers and the queue goes from 4,000 elements in the queue to zero elements in the queue, and I feel like, oh, yay, done. What I did not realize at the time was that um uh, every five minutes when a cron job was attempting to put something on the queue, it was doing that in a non inimpotent fashion. So uh, instead of having one phone call queued up for a person for delivery on Friday, I had, okay, let's do the math, seven-hour outage, five, uh, 12 five-minute increments per uh Per hour, so that's approximately plus or minus eighty phone calls that were queued up for the person. These were all 3 a.m. You said? Uh, Well, luckily it was 3 a.m. for me in Japan, so in the middle of the day during American business hours. Uh, Okay. Um, Okay. But uh, immediately delivered eighty phone calls and eighty SMS messages and eighty emails to people. Um, Emails and SMS messages getting eighty of them in a blast is annoying. Getting eighty phone calls simultaneously is more than annoying, uh, particularly because Twilio, which I was using scales impressively well. So if, uh, if it gets a busy signal, it will just keep going. Uh, as long as you're continuing to push more phone calls at that phone number. And so I essentially, uh, distributed denial of service, the phone numbers at the business clients of my clients, uh, for the better part of an hour, multiple people had to take the, uh, take the phones literally out of the walls to make them stop ringing. Um, (laughs) That was the worst outage I've ever been a party to. Uh, And uh, I remember when I found out about this also at, you know, oh my God, in the morning o'clock, I didn't have internet at the new apartment yet. So I had to walk through the rain at 3am in the morning uh, uh, to my old apartment, which didn't have heat, but did have internet to uh, get on the phone with people about, I'm so sorry for blowing up your customers. Uh, I'll call them directly to apologize. I'll get sworn at them for taking down their phone for the last two hours um, and then do it again times the, you know, luckily it was early in the life of the business. So it was a small number of people who were actually affected, but severe impact on them. Uh, that, that was not a very fun day. Right. Uh, well,
1: uh, I love systems and downtime war stories. And I got to say that this is one of my favorites, but you seem like you're in a place where you can laugh about it now.
2: Yeah, it was the worst day in my business at the time that it happened, and I thought the business is over, all my customers are going to leave me, etc. Um fun fun fact, like I only lost two customers over that issue, so you know, on the order of a hundred dollars a month of revenue. Um one of them now granted, uh I both lost him as a customer and he runs a martial arts dojo and I'm never allowed back in his city on pain of a severe beatdown. Uh but wasn't a city that I had high on my list, so that's okay. Uh, the business, like, if you looked at any of the graphs relevant to it a year later, you would not have been, even been able to see that downtime. Um, I think that in the moment, a lot of things look more, uh, look more painful than they are. You just have to be honest with people on, hey, we screwed up. Uh, we're sorry for screwing up. We're putting in place processes and technology to make sure that we don't screw up like this in the future. Right. We're, appreciative of the fact that you've given us the business uh, when you had a lot of other providers and we'll do our level best to to get back to uh, uh, something which works for you. If you can own that, then outages are very definitely not, not a problem, but they're a surmountable problem.
1: Next up, I've got Travis Kimmel, CEO of Git Prime. His story is about uh, after launch the dance of cleaning up your early assumptions and building new features. Enjoy. All right. So that's a good segue into my, my final question, which is, do you have any great engineering war stories?
3: <laughs> um, yeah, gosh, I bet we do. I mean the the mood button one is pretty fantastic, but that was not from this company. So from this, from this uh yeah, from this one, we have one sort of epic, long engineering war story. So in the mm-hmm. beginning,
4: um, we... <laughs> I feel like we need to turn on a fireplace and get some cocoa or something. <laughs> <laughs> <We're just> like, <laughs> in the beginning, in the, beginning. Source, the,
3: the prototype and proof of concept was my co-founder and I um, just rolling out you know, a bunch of early stuff. And then um, we did that, sort of proved it out, um, you know, uh, got, got a round of funding, and said, all right, let's build it for real. And so we went and got a contract team in who did um, who did a great job getting the early build out. Um, you know the thing was was awesome. We shipped it. We got a customer. Um, and then we we the ensuing um, the, the ensuing implementations from there were this really interesting dance of um, cleaning up some of the early assumptions. You know there was a little bit of technical debt in there, like you get and. Cleaning that up while balancing shipping new features mm-hmm. was just crazy difficult and mad props to our engineering team because every single week there was this, there was sort of the shadow work that was happening mm-hmm. with a ton of stuff that shipped that was hyper visible. Right. And they have continued to do that every single week, every single month since then. Um, and so, you know, it's one of these stories that I guess you kind of—it's sort of a you had to be there thing. But mm-hmm. I think that this is this is a really good um, lesson for for engineering teams. Since I'm now kind of on the stakeholder side, Right. Uh, you know, throw people a visible bone, and you can do a lot of that cleanup work that we always want to do as engineers. Right. Uh, that that balance—I mean, it's basically just almost a fifty-fifty division of work where there's foundational, whether it's R and D, whether it's technical debt just tons of foundational work going on Mm -hmm. with a bunch of things that are visible that are not necessarily high cost. Mm -hmm. Like the stuff that users want are like, you know, this button is hard for me to understand. So if you can balance those things and kind of do a major and a minor sprint is one way that we've done that. Like the minor sprint is all of these quality of life upgrades. And the major sprint is just like, you know, laying track in the guts of the app.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh,
3: that's been super successful so
1: so it strikes me pick. from your story that um you guys might be using git prime to build git prime
3: oh yeah <laughs> there's,
1: there's a level of meta there that i'm yeah. jealous of <laughs>
3: yeah it does it does sort of feedback on itself because then we look at these these reports and we're like gosh you know it would be really great in here <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah that's awesome that is very cool Travis is a super smart guy. It was awesome to have him on the show. Next up, I've got Jay Zession, lead architect at Elo. His story is about Elo blowing up and getting tens of thousands of users and VC funding all at once. Here's Jay Zession, lead architect of Elo.
0: We sort of had a big pop in traffic as a result of, of something that Facebook and some of other, our other competitors did that alienated a, a big portion of the, the creative and LGBT community and resulted in a really big influx of folks over to Elo which was great net-net for us, uh, but we weren't at all prepared for it. So we had had traffic doubling almost every day for uh, about 10 days to two weeks, um, which, you yeah, know, the first couple of days was super exciting, and then after that was <laughs> total blind panic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was, it was almost comical the first couple of days, right, because you're sort of like, huh, this is a little higher than usual. And then the next yeah, day yeah. you're like, it. it it's still high. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't yeah, go down. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then by the third day, you're like, so what? <laughs> like, yeah. we're starting to run into the limits, and this is bad. And whoever runs your finance probably hates all the AWS bills, or oh, I think Heroku, yeah. in your guys' case, yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Although, the funny part of that, we, uh, so, yeah, on, on Heroku, we went from, like, a $1,000 monthly bill. to like, a $30,000 monthly bill. Um <laughs> And as it turns out, so one of my funnier moments in the entire time was getting a a call from the CTO of Heroku during that at like 6 p.m. on a Tuesday, you know, noticing that we had spiked up our spend and asking if there was anything he could do to help. It's like God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but the, you can sort of get some. You know, th- that was one really nice thing there, honestly. Right? Is uh, the one thing that we found sort of by uh, by necessity and the fact that we were so far out of our comfort zone and sort of what we knew about scaling something like this um, was that reaching out into community and vendors and lots of that there were there were lots of resources available and lots of folks that we could sort of lean on to help us, uh, which is tremendous. Um, but it does take a toll on the team, right? We, we sort of had about three of us that were pretty much just focused on scaling challenges for about three months. Um, and it was a lot of effort and, and quite frankly, we were all sort of super burned out by the time that that sort of finally abated. Um, because you're just sort of that, that looking at sort of an hourly time scale and constantly tweaking things and moving up and down is, is really exhausting. Um, so I think that's something, you know, and as companies get, get sort of bigger and, um, and, you, and that becomes an ongoing challenge, setting, setting up really formal processes for dealing with the ops side of things and on-call and scaling and, and sort of that site reliability engineering side of things is super, super important. Um, yeah. And it's really easy to have it sort of fall on just a couple of people in your team, but it's important to be able to rotate that around so those people can um, Excuse me. So they can take vacations and okay. feel normal and, and all that as well. So is that what you did
4: for those three people after the three months? Is just like rotate them, or did you be like okay, go away for a month? And
0: like, <laughs> like, like it, how did you manage the human side of that? It's sort of um, it rotated off a little bit naturally because it was uh, it was at the same time that we were trying to sort of staff up with internal staff and uh, sort of start to roll off consultants and all that. Okay. Um, so some of it just sort of happened naturally as a result of us hiring on staff internally and sort of rolling off. The consulting folks who are who are sort of bearing the brunt of a lot of that.
4: Okay, that makes uh,
0: sense. And for me, I was sort of at the at the center of both sides, but I went from consultant to full timer, so it was sort of more about how do I, you know, how do I offload that a little bit more and, and bring more people in on it and and all that, which is yeah, you know, it was a process, but we got there.
4: Yeah, awesome. Uh, so then another side effect, or not really side effect, but just. Thing that happened, I guess, from blowing up like that. You guys got a lot of national attention, which was really cool. And then you got like a really large investment round, which was really f- awesome to help the company keep growing. Uh, and
0: then I think we all know your biggest war story, but <laughs> any other
2: <laughs> ones that you want to
0: share? Yeah, the, uh, I guess within that, sort of one one moment that will always stick out to me is when we were uh, we were splitting our activity feed serving out of the, the primary database. Um, we had sort of scripted the whole thing, tested it on a staging environment, uh, Took a little bit of downtime overnight to execute it on a production environment. Realized at four in the morning that uh, the staging piece of it had actually failed, but it triggered a fail safe, so we didn't notice it. Um, so we had dropped the database in production, didn't have a fail safe for it, and couldn't hit it. So, uh, and we're nice. all yeah super nice. tired and couldn't actually figure out think straight on what was going on there. So and uh, you still got a ton of funding and users. So yeah, The exactly. world moves on. The world didn't end. It was great.
1: <laughs> all right, and uh, where can people? Find- Last up, we have a war story from a VC-funded startup. Judd Valesky, former CTO at Gnip, which has now been acquired by Twitter, has a story about screening your customers for success. Here's Judd Valesky. So I think we're getting towards the bottom of the hour, so I'm going to bring us home with our final questions. Do you have any great engineering war stories that you'd like to share? War stories? I
5: do. I'm trying to come up with them, though. That's the one I didn't get to at the beginning. Okay. In terms of pre-processing. I have one about the Gnip
4: website actually, because I'm glad that we actually got to meet. Because I don't know if you know, but I used to work at it G4. Oh uh, uh, okay. On we website. Yes. Um, yes. Itself. Yes. Yes. Gnip.com was on S3. Yes. And we hit. Uh, I didn't know this. So we didn't know this. At the time. S3 had a. Well, actually, we did know it all of it, but S3 has a download limit. And so you guys made some big announcements by, by
5: bandwidth or number uh, of requests. I think it's remember? number
4: of requests. Okay. Uh, I think uh, number of requests per second, I think is what it is. Okay. And you guys made some oh, big sure. announcement yeah. and S- it reached the limit and yeah, S3 then, was just down. There you go. And so it threw CloudFront in front of it and it was fine from then on, you know, but yeah. uh, I just yeah, we traffic, took down. You know, a traffic a load yeah. uh,
5: problem, that's good. It's a
1: good problem to have. But yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a great problem to have. But...
5: Um, shoot, I want to answer this because I know I have good ones. I don't know why they're not coming to the surface.
1: Okay. We can move
4: on to another question and you can kind of keep that going back okay. in if back of mind. Come back to it. Sure. Um, what are your engineering values?
5: Uh, engineering values, transparency and visibility into what you're up to and not, not, that's not to management. That's to your peers, mm-hmm. like, uh, fluidity there. Um, I, I do, I'm hook, line and sinker on pair programming. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot easier said than done, however, so I don't mandate it for myself or anybody else. But when, when it's happening, that's the best software I've ever seen written has right. been written that way. Um, so I value that that highly collaborative willingness on the part of folks. Um, similarly willing and able to admit defeat and when there's something wrong uh, certainly have seen lots of software get written and just wrapped around itself and mm-hmm. another week goes by and another week goes by and almost there almost there and you're not uh, and it's because you weren't able to stand up and raise your hand and say I'm in trouble or I botched this or this thing's wrong you know help me out mm-hmm. so it's you know it's a lot of it's, again, kind of rooted back to collaboration, I guess. Okay. Um, what else would I say there? Creativity. The, I mean, that's, a, yeah, implied. Yeah. Um, not, yeah, related, not just cracking open a textbook or some learning you had 10 years ago and, and applying just the science, right? A constant new hopefully creative view into how you're solving the problem. Definitely important.
1: Okay. Uh, Shall we revisit our our previous question? Any engineering war stories come to mind? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you guys worked with Twitter scale, volume of data at Gnip, so I'm imagining that you guys got pretty good at load testing and it's a testament to your technical abilities that you can come up with something on the the spot. You know,
5: the... It's it now. This sounds arrogant, but it's not me speaking. It's me speaking for the team. Like we did a lot of shit right. Mm-hmm. Like we did a lot of a lot of great work there. Uh, there was a lot of uh, rinse and repeat going on, and, and we built a lot of good stuff. Um, you know, one comes to mind. It's I don't know if it's a war story or not, though. But it it was it was a I think it's a funny story. Um, we had. Lots of people obviously coming to us, quote unquote, wanting the fire hose, um, and it, it kind of internally became this running, running joke uh, because no one really had any idea what that meant. But you'd still have people, prospects, show up at your front door wanting that. It's like, well, do you know what that means? Like, do you know how much data that is? Do you know how you would process it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. No problem. No problem. That actually often was not the case. Like people actually had no idea what they were in for. And we did one deal. We did the deal, held up our end of the bargain all the way. Um, but then the other, the, the customer went to implement and their their ISP couldn't handle the, the traffic. And it took a week or two to figure out what was going on. And then they figured that out and they got a better pipe into the, into the, Machine, Uh, and then their engineers didn't know how to write uh, asynchronously processing event handling type software, Mm -hmm. um, and couldn't deal with the volume that was coming in and queuing into their application and so on. Um, So they they couldn't process the data coming in, and it was this funny funny moment where engineering on our end had to interact with sales on our end around qualifying customers, right? Mm-hmm. You, as a startup, you, if you get into a revenue world, uh, hopefully you do, you have to be able to qualify your prospect or your customer's capability to actually pay. Right. Um, what's a qualified lead versus quali- uh, unqualified? And often there's a revenue component in that. Part of that algorithm our sales guys had to start using was, you know, you have to run a test. Like before we can continue the conversation, You need to run a test on certain products. We had certain products that were incredibly high volume.
1: Right.
5: uh, And we had to they had to run the test. They had to essentially prove Mm -hmm. that they could write software uh, that could consume the product we were about to give them. Because obviously the the horrible dynamic is you make the sale um, and then six months later the customer comes back to you and says, I can't do anything with this. Right. They can't
1: implement, they can't get value out of it. it, Exactly.
5: Right. Even if you're delivering it, like even if you're holding up your end of the bargain. Yeah. So it was it that was a uh, I don't know if it's a war story or not, but it but. was a funny technical uh, scenario right. where uh, you know the 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 other party got themselves into this jam despite the demand for yeah. the product. It was just
4: kind of funny. I mean, so what did that test look like? I mean, not to get too specific, but I mean, was it just like a huge fake data file that you just no, like send no? It, it like, was. Or? I mean, it was.
5: It was a. It wound up being just a a, a temporary slice of the stream that they uh-huh. would ultimately pay for, and but they had to go through this checklist on their end of like, okay, you were able to connect to it, check. Mm-hmm. You were able to get the the data rate through. Check. Mm-hmm. Um, were you able to actually process the data? Right. and then that yeah. third one was often that third one was real software right it was like to, to handle lots of messages coming in on one thread or in one process and then managing them in another there's, a, there's an engineering it's a small step but it's a crucial step asynchronous processing is a is a step that uh, surprisingly a lot of engineers don't get like they don't yeah. they, they think synchronous processing they don't Understand message handling or event handling or or uh, multi-threaded processing, mm-hmm. and then with high volume data, you have that's got to be in yeah. your blood. Yeah. yeah,
1: absolutely. I think that was a great engineering okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in this week. See you all next week.
0: Thanks for listening. Find us at StartupCTO.io or on Twitter at StartupCTO.io. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes,
1: Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next episode.